KMTT, Kimitzion Teitzei Torah. You're listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parshat Vayakel Pekudei, Parshat Chodesh, Kaf Vav Adar. And I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat, Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel. I want to discuss Shabbat, because in Vayakal Pekude, the Shabbat is placed right at the beginning, before B'nai Yisrael, before the, the Jewish people are commanded to keep Shabbat, they are commanded to keep, sorry, before they are commanded to build the Mishkan, they are commanded to keep Shabbat. And this leads to much literature about Shabbat, vis-à-vis the Mishkan, and in general, and even the literature that's not about Shabbat here, but in other places, what I'd like to do is discuss some of the misconceptions that are out there about Shabbat, and try to formulate, uh, in my opinion, a correct concept of what Shabbat is, certainly at least the way it's presented in the Torah itself. So, the first thing that we know about Shabbat is that it's brought here in the beginning of Parshat Vayakel in contrast to the Mishkan. And then the what Chazal learned from here are two things. One is on a much, much more local level and one is on a far more reaching level. The more local level is that Chazal come along and teach us their understanding of the Psukim here, and this is also learned from the mention of Shabbat in Parshat Kitisa, Achet Shabbatotai Tishmoru, that even though I'm commanding you to build the Mishkan, you are not allowed to build the Mishkan on Shabbat. Number two, and this has a far more reaching impact, this is not a what we previously said has a very local, time-limited ramification. At the time they're building Mishkan, we're not allowed to build it on Shabbat. So that happens in the Midbar, perhaps it happens in the time of Shlomo HaMelech, in the time of Ezra Nechemiah, Ezra Hashem Latid Lava. But from here, Chazal also learned that the 39 actions that were involved in the building of the Mishkan actions, melachot, however we want to define them, those are the 39 actions that are prohibited on Shabbat. What we call the Lametet Avot Melachot, and this, and this we learn from the Mishkan, what, the actions, the activities that were involved in building of, on the Mishkan are by extension the actions that are prohibited to do on Shabbat. And this is this is a permanent fixture within halacha. Many years ago, I heard someone give a Dvar Torah, quoting a prominent Acharon, that if you see that Shabbat precedes the Mishkan, you can see from here that Shabbat, which is something that we have with us always, whether in Eretz Yisrael, whether we're in Galut, is more important than the Mishkan. 
Now, this is patently false. We're not, the Torah did not, and Chazal did not, contrast Shabbat and the Mishkan. The Torah contrasted Shabbat and Malachet HaMishkan, the building of the Mishkan. The building of the Mishkan is a very temporary stage. And it is then understandable, and in, in fact anticipated, that something like Shabbat, which is eternal, and the building of the Mishkan, which is temporary, Shabbat should be preferred over the building of the Mishkan. But the Mishkan itself, and the day-to-day Avodah of the Mishkan, once the Mishkan is built, the Avodah and the Beit HaMikdash, which, unfortunately, has not been eternal, but essentially is an eternal mitzvah, just like Shabbat is an eternal mitzvah, here we see, in fact, the opposite picture. There's almost no concept of Shabbat in the Beit HaMikdash. I'm overstating that. But if we were to see some of the activities that they do in the Beit HaMikdash on Shabbat, we would think that it's not a very religious place. They are slaughtering animals. They are lighting the menorah. So it's true. We're limited in our activities on Shabbat. We don't bring korbanot nidava. We don't bring volunteer korbanot on Shabbat. But everything that has to do with the obligatory mitzvot. We do on Shabbat in the Mikdash regularly. We don't do it with a shinui. We don't shech the animal with our left hand. The Mikdash runs regularly on Shabbat. In fact, we have a concept that there's no shvut in the Mikdash. All the the Durabanan prohibitions don't apply in the Mikdash. So in fact, if we're going to correct a misconception number one, Shabbat versus Mishkan, or Shabbat versus Mikdash, the Mikdash wins. We slaughter on Shabbat, we burn the korbanot on Shabbat, we light the menorah on Shabbat. Shabbat versus Malachet HaMishkan, Shabbat wins. Building the Mishkan, then Shabbat wins. But it's important to note that this idea, which I believe is rooted in a Chutz La'aretz approach, which wants to see everything that's going on in Chutz La'aretz as just as good. Oh, you say we don't have the Beit HaMikdash, but Shabbat is more important than the Beit HaMikdash. That's a false statement. Halachically, the Mikdash wins out in a, the halachic competition with Shabbat, as we are essentially, we do actions that are prohibited on Shabbat anywhere else in the Mikdash. Number one. Number two. What is Shabbat? So we like to say Shabbat is about spending time with the family. And Shabbat is about learning Torah. Now, Torah is something that we're commanded to do seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There's no break in the, in the obligation to learn Torah by any day. And it's a good opportunity to take on Shabbat if we don't have time during the week. But I don't think there's any justification to talk about Shabbat as a time to learn Torah 
in any way it's presented in the Torah, nor in any way it's presented halachically. We should always take time when we have time to learn Torah. And if Shabbat allows us that, then that's very good. Spending time with the family. So, we do have a concept in the Aseret Hadibrot where the children come into the forefront. So we see that there's a family concept here. But in the same sentence that our children are mentioned, our slaves are mentioned, our animals are mentioned, and the and the gerim, the strangers or the converts, depending on how we interpret this, who are amongst us, who live nearby us, are also mentioned in the same sentence. And what it seems to be displaying is not a question of a family concept, but a complete and total stoppage of melacha, of productive activity. Starting from the family, extending to our slaves, our animals, our complete lives come to a standstill on Shabbat. And I'm not sure if what the Pasuk here in the Aseret brought is stressing is something about the family. Any more than anything else in the Pasuk. My child is not allowed to do malacha, and my animal is not allowed to do malacha. Again, should the opportunity of Shabbat to take time with the family because we're not working not be taken advantage of? Of course it should be taken advantage of. But I'm not sure that this is what the Torah is describing. In fact, I'm sure it's not. That Shabbat is about family time. And let's differentiate between what the Torah says and what we can take advantage of on Shabbat. Because we can also take advantage of the time to sleep on Shabbat. And there is there are elements of this in Zimirot of Shabbat, maybe in rabbinic literature, but that's not what the Torah comes along and tells us. You have time to sleep on Shabbat. So once again, let's differentiate between what we can take advantage of on Shabbat and how the Torah presents Shabbat to us. The last thing I want to discuss, and I think here, maybe we'll start getting to, yes, what Shabbat is, is this campaign which exists today to popularize Shabbat. And I think this has to be evaluated very carefully. What do I mean by popularize Shabbat? Shabbat is out there in the streets. It's trying to be sold as a concept outside of Judaism. Now let's evaluate the legitimacy of this and what it has to mean and what it has to be about. In Parshat Kitisa, when Shabbat is presented at the end of God's commandment, about the Mishkan, as opposed to our parasha, Parashat Vayakel, where it's presented at the beginning of the commandment to B'nai Israel of the Mishkan. Shabbat is presented as something that is a breach between Am Yisrael and God. Between me and B'nai Israel, it is a covenant forever. Perpetual covenant. 
from this, we have the concept that goy sheshavat chayav mita. A goy, that is shomer shabbat, is chayav mita. Is liable to the death penalty. The Ramam goes out to explain that this is not something that we actively do, but this is a rather a statement of the severity of the action. Now, when we talk about Shabbat as having Friday night dinner with the family, so it's very difficult to understand this concept. Why should a goy who is partaking in the Shabbat chayav mitah? And in fact, a goy who sits at a Jewish meal Friday night is not chayav mitah. When we say goy Shabbat, we're talking about a goy who actively, or inactively, more precisely, refrains from doing melacha on Shabbat for the purpose of keeping Shabbat. And that I don't think we'll find too many cases of. Of course, the classic halacha cases, when someone is in the process of converting to Judaism, and they're not yet Jewish, they have to be careful to mechalel Shabbat at least one time, so they're not keeping Shabbat. Shabbat, we know, is about stopping activity. The the first Shabbat that's described to us is God stopping the activity of creation. It is about taking a break. It's about giving a chance to everybody to stop what they're doing. And on perhaps the most basic level, it's something even of a social level. That if we give our Eved and our Shivcha and our animal a break, this is the way it's supposed to be. As the Pasuk says in Parshan Mishpatim, Everybody deserves a break. In other words, perhaps Shabbat, first and foremost, at least the way it's described in the Torah, has an element of social justice in it. Give those people who are working hard a break. Your animals, your slaves. Give yourself a break. You should not do work, and your children shouldn't do work. Is this about taking account and evaluating what's around us? Physically resting? Now, the interesting thing is that all these concepts, of course, we would not seem to think should be put into a covenant, enshrined in a covenant between God and B'nai Israel. They seem to be very universal concepts. Concepts of social justice, concepts of stopping to evaluate, to take a break. Or in today's world where it's a rat race and time is of the essence, the ability to not stop is all the more powerful, perhaps, than it ever was. Perhaps not so, perhaps in a world wherein people ate from the money they made day to day, it was much more difficult to keep Shabbat. But in today's high-tech, super-fast world, you can always accomplish more by working another day and not stopping and sitting on your email and seeing what else could be done. So Shabbat is ever more relevant today and just as relevant as it always has been. 
And it's puzzling that in this context, that Shabbat, out of all the mitzvot, should have this unique relationship with B'nai Israel. We don't say, Goy sha'asat ha'seder chayav mitah. Now that's something that should make sense. A Goy shouldn't be doing a seder. He didn't leave Mitzrayim. A non-Jew didn't leave Egypt. Why should he not perform? He should perform, not perform a seder. A Goy who has a seder, chayav mitah. We don't say that. We say, Goy shavat. out of all the things that the Torah could have limited from a non-Jew, it chose the Shabbat. And this is puzzling. Because there are so many more mitzvot that are unique to B'nai Israel, that relate to something about B'nai Israel specifically that should have excluded the, the non-Jew. And out of all those things, Shabbat is chosen. Now yes, it's true that Shabbat also relates to Yitziat Mitzrayim. But to go to such an extreme as to say that the Goy is completely removed from Shabbat, and if he keeps it, he's Chayav Mitah, demands an explanation. And I think that perhaps we have to take the bull by the horns and understand that specifically because of the fact that Shabbat stems on a Torah level from social justice, taking a break for you and for your workers and for your animals, giving everybody a chance to stop, to take stock. The message of the Torah when it says that it's a breach between me and B'nai Israel is saying that these values, though they seem, or though they are, universal values, they have to come from God's relationship with B'nai Israel, And this is an overarching message of the Torah, not just regarding Shabbat, but regarding God's message to the world. God's message to the world, even in the places of morality, which seem to be universal, which don't seem to have any relationship specifically to Am Yisrael, God has decided to channel these values and these ideas through B'nai Israel, They are not values that are out there for anybody to pick up and take, but they have to stem from God's word to B'nai Israel, God's relationship to B'nai Israel, And from there, they can go to the entire world. So then, yes, the values of Shabbat, some of the values of Shabbat, certainly can be sold out there to the world as many of our values that are Jewish values, that the non-Jew is not commanded in according to the Torah, have a relevancy to the world. But there's a big difference if these values are understood as being out there, or if they're understood as being channeled from God to the world, through B'nai Israel. Shabbat Shalom. Parshat Vayaket Pekudeh. We have a, an interesting halacha in the beginning of Parshat Vayakel. Parshat Vayakel begins, obviously Parshat Vayakel and Pekudeh are about the building of the Beit HaMikdash, building of the Mishkan. And in the very beginning, there's a short Parsha about Shabbat, which all the commentators comment on. Uh, Rashi in the place says that the main purpose of its placement here 
was that we should know that you don't build the Mishkan on Shabbat. That was the prohibitions of Shabbat. Doing Malachan Shabbat include and prohibit also building the Mishkan lest you think that building the Mishkan is such an important mitzvah would override Shabbat. The Pasha begins, Vayakel Moshe. Moshe uh, congregated, brought into assembly, Kol Adat Bnei Yisrael, and then gave them the instructions how to construct the Mishkan. And this is the only place where that uh, verb, that statement is made, Vayakel Moshe, Moshe spoke, says by the Be'er, Moshe El Bnei Moshe spoke to Bnei Yisrael. Here it says, Moshe congregated the entire Jewish people at Kol Adat Bnei Yisrael, and then told them these instructions. And the first instruction, of course, is Shabbat. There is a Midrash, uh, quoted in the Yalkut Shimoni on this Pasha. Midrash says, Vayakel Moshe, Raboteinu Ba'alei Agada Omrim. It's an interesting introduction. In other words, it's going to be a halacha. Oh, it sounds like a halacha. But specifically, this halacha was said by Raboteinu Ba'alei Agada. Our masters, who, our teachers who are the masters of Agada. And they here expand what sounds like a halacha. So maybe the halacha is not formally binding in halacha, since it's sources by the Agadah, but surely it's extremely uh, recommended. What did they say? Mitchilat Torah va'at sofa'in ba'pasha shlema ba'rosha va'yakel. This is the only pasha in the entire Torah where it says that Moshe Rabbeinu did hakala. He congregated the Jews beforehand. What does it mean? Amar HaKadosh Baruch God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Asay lecha kilot gdolot. Make large congregations, large assemblies. Udrosh lifnehem berabim hilchot Shabbat. And teach them hilchot Shabbat berabim. Have public learning of hilchot Shabbat. As immediately takes place, Moshe Rabbeinu begins with hilchot Shabbat. Kedei sheyilmedu mimcha dorot habayim. And why should Moshe Rabbeinu do this? So as to teach the coming generations, including our own, that lahakir kilot bechol Shabbat v'Shabbat b'lichnos v'temed rashot l'lamed u'lorot Yisrael divrei Torah isu v'hetem. Your example, the Pashat v'Yakel, should be an example that the future generations should make large assemblies on Shabbat. I think there's a bit of a play on words here. As Moshe Rabbeinu didn't assemble the Jews on Shabbat. He assembled the Jews that, and among other things taught them Hilchot Shabbat. And just says from that we learn that the Jewish people should congregate on Shabbat in order to learn Torah. Lilmod u'lohorot Yisrael, lilameid u'lohorot Yisrael, in order to teach and direct the Jews divrei Torah isur ve'heter. In other words, halacha l'maisa. You should, you should have assemblies to teach halacha. On Shabbat, just Moshe Rabbeinu had this assembly uh, where he taught Hilchot Shabbat on a day getting ready to build the Mishkan. Kedai, and what's the purpose of this? You say the purpose is that they should learn halacha. The purpose is that they should correct incorrect halachot. And Rav says, no. I think the reason is, why no? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching the Jews anyhow. Why do you have to teach them all in a great assembly? As it said, lahakil kilot gedolot. Maybe it's more effective teaching them in small assemblies or in by mail, or in school during the week, or by email, or by KMTT. Why do you need a big assembly? Ben Banai. 
by having a large kilot galot, a large public assembly to learn Torah on Shabbat when it's apparently appropriate or available, God says the purpose is that my great name, Shmir Gadol, the great name of God, should be magnified, should be, should be glorified amidst my children. In other words, it's a kiyum, it's a fulfillment of learning Torah Barabim, is a fulfillment of Kiddush Hashem Barabim. We can amru, from here, this is the source of the following statement, Moshe tiken lahem Israel. that's a very halachic formulation, Moshe Rabbeinu instituted on the Jews, shiyu dorshim binyano shal yom, that on any given day you should be learning the halachot of that day, halachot pesach B'Pesach, Hilchot Atzeret, Ba'atzeret, Hilchot Achag, Ba'chag. Right, there's a halacha botan in the Gemara, that there's a halacha, that one should learn Hilchot Pesach and Pesach, Hilchot Atzeret, Ba'atzeret, Hilchot Sukkos and Sukkos. And so the Medrash, the Yalkut Shimoni, connects that to a somewhat different formulation, that every Shabbat you should learn some halachot. In other words, learning Hilchot Pesach and Pesach also isn't only that you should know what to do on Pesach, because maybe it's a little bit too late to learn Hilchot Pesach and Pesach. Shulchan Pesach before Pesach. Different Gemara that says Shloshim Yom Lifnei Pesach Toshim Vachot Pesach. It's already thirty days before Pesach, and we should be engaged already in learning Pesach. But why should you learn Pesach on Pesach? That's not practical. It's that there should be public learning of Torah. Kedeshia Shmi Agadol Mitkalais Ben Banai that my name should be glorified among my children. Amar Moshe Yisrael, Im Atem Osim Kaseidah Razeh. Moshe said to the Jews, If you do as I told you now, not. Doesn't mean If you do as I told you to have these assemblies of learning public Torah, then God considers it as though you have been, you've coronated, you've raised God's kingship. Public learning of Torah is not that we should, oh, not only that we should know Torah, that you can surely do in private, but there's a special element of public learning of Torah. Before we saw it's a Kiddush Hashem, here we say it's Hamlachat Hashem. And of course you can't do that in private. To make God a king privately, kingship by definition has to be over the populace, over the country, over the, over the entire population. So public assemblies where the people declare Hashem Melech are are significant. Learning Torah is coronating God. It's inaugurating God's kingship. Okay, so it all began with our Pasuk. Moshe Rabbeinu specifically made a kihila of Kol Klal Yisrael. And the Midrash explains it's not a more effective educational tool, but there's an aspect of public teaching of Torah. And the Midrash did say, Isu Beheta, public teaching of Torah is a kiyum of Kiddush Hashem Barabim and even more significant, Hamlachat Hashem pointing, anointing, asserting, declaring God's kingship, the Kahal Vav, in public.
And I think it's important to realize the connotations here because the Midrash said that this should be done every Shabbat. I don't think it's done that often on Shabbat in modern communities. Even if there is public learning on Shabbat, which is a good idea because people are busy during the week but can come to learn on Shabbat, but very often it's Pashat HaShavua, Agadah. And the idea, I think, of Hamlachat Hashem, showing that God is King, might very well specifically be connected to Halachot, because by learning the Halachot, we also, so to speak, subjugate ourselves to God's will, was learning other aspects of Torah. It's very nice that you love Torah, but it might not, might not include this specific aspect the Midrash is looking for of God's kingship, of declaring that God is king, which might be more connected to God's commands, learning halacha lemaisa. And in fact, in Siman Reish Tzadin Shulchan Aruch, this is brought down in our Lachi context. I'm calling from the tour now. Tour says, Kov'in Medrash B'Shabbat. There's a halacha that we should have public drush. But what does the word drush mean? Medrash. Public learning. And he quotes a midrash, a different midrash, which is quoted in the Torah. Amrat Torah the Pnei Kadosh Baruch Hu Ribonu Shalom Kishikansu Yisrael LaAretz Zeratz LeKamor VeZeratz LeSadeir Bani Matahelai. In the midbar, in the desert, should the Jews learn Torah every day with Moshe Rabbeinu? Torah comes to God and says, "You know, you're going there, so it's a wonderful thing, but but I'm going to lose because now everybody learns me. But when they get there, they're all going to go to their businesses. Ish Ratz LeKamor VeZeratz LeSadeir. This one, everyone goes to work. When they go to work, nobody learns Torah." Okay, this is a permanent aspect of Jewish life. The, the, the conflict between learning Torah, which is a full-time occupation, and Parnassah, and your real occupation. And people don't learn Torah because they say they're busy. They have to, all of us they have to, Kamo, Vizeto, Vizadeu. They're taking care of their vineyards, they're taking care of their businesses. So God said to, to, to Torah, who's complaining, what's going to be with me? I mean, it's a wonderful place, but not for Torah. It's better to be in the desert and nothing to do. And then everybody learns Torah. So he said, God answered, Yeshli ben zug shani mezaveg lecha v'shabbat shmo. Shem betelim mimlachtam v'yicholim nasog b'cha. God said, the mate, the ben zug of Torah is Shabbat. In other words, there's a special need to combine Shabbat and Torah learning. Now here the reason is practical. Because during the week you're busy doing other things. But nobody can say that he's busy in other things on Shabbat. And that's the only chance. The Torah is crying, where are the Jews? Where are my Jews? And God says, it's like it's like a funny kind of marriage. During the week, it used to be common, you know, peddlers, Jewish occupations. A man got married, but he had to work really hard, including not being home all week, but on Shabbat he came home. So the Jew leaves his benzug, he leaves the Torah the whole week and goes to work. He makes sure to come home on Shabbat and spend Shabbat with Torah. Um, and then the the um, the tour says that that's the end of the midrash. You're free, and therefore you can learn. I, I can't help but adding, for those of you who are listening to this while in their cars or taking walks. So the midrash says that the only time Jews are free from their overwhelming work ethic is on Shabbat. And I add, you are so free. And you're driving to work. So even those of you who are not you don't have in the work week for whatever reason. 
whether that's good or bad or something else, but the work is so great that you cannot learn, but we know there is time. There's, there's all these extra minutes when b'teilim mi melachtam b'yicholim lasok b'cha. And so, I'm adding, I'm helping, I'm helping the Torah out. The Torah is still crying. The Jews don't learn Torah enough. I'm saying, well, don't worry. Torah, you'll have minutes, which is the KMTT uh, uh, benefit. To take all those wasted minutes and use it for Torah. Back to the Midrash. The, the tour then concludes. Al-Kain, because of this Midrash, Tzarich Shikavu Midrash, Lodiya La'amit Chukei Elokim, Ve'et Torotav. That's why you should have a Kvi'ut, an assembly of time where the people will be taught the laws of God. Okay, he, he assumes it's halacha, even though this Midrash didn't talk about halacha. And then the Torah says, Halacha Lamaisa, Sulikvoa Sudab is man beta Midrash. Kedita Bikitin Nafla Mitchet. It's a Gemara in Gitin, that one should not have his own private Suda when there's a public Shia. Even though it's very important Sudat Shabbat, but it's not merely an accident to do a Shia on Shabbat. It's part of Shabbat. And therefore, when there's, during this public Shia time, Asulik Vora Suda Ba'otazman, the Gemara and Gitten says it's one of the reasons why people lose their property. In other words, why people are impoverished. Hani Tlat Miling Nachti Bali Batim for three reasons, this is one of them, where people lose their investments. Their, their, their stock market crashes. They lose all their money. Why? And one of them is the Kavi Suda B'Shapta B'Idan Be'i Midrasha, that they established their Suda, their eating times, when there was the time of Beit Midrash. So, um, I, I think we've lost this a little bit today. And I'm not sure that most people, or even most shuls, have an Idan Beit Midrash. That Shabbat has as part of its schedule. The schedule of Shabbat includes Talmud Torah. We know that the schedule of Shabbat includes Tefillah. Everyone comes to Daven on Shabbat. Special, great assembly for davening much more than during the week. And of course, Suda. And of course, sleeping. And I wonder whether or not for many people we've just finished Shabbat. So this Midrash and this Halakha Natur says that in Shabbat there is Idan Beit Midrasha. And the first example of it it's a little strange here because it didn't take place on Shabbat, but the first example of it is by Akel Moshe. And by Moshe talked about Shabbat to tell us that Shabbat should be the time of your future Kihilot. That's, that's apparently the reason why Shabbat is here because it's to tell us you should have Kihilot on Shabbat, the public learning of Shabbat. Poskim really talk about what should be learned. Uh, the Bach over there in Reish Tzadi on that similar tour says specifically, he quotes the tools Lashon, he says, most of the drasha on Shabbat should be lehalacha, lehorot hilchot Shabbat, v'asur v'amutar, lefi mashakon v'shabbat, v'sefer Torah, the Bach suggests you should learn the halachic elements of that week's parasha. It should be parashat ha-shavua, but it should be lehorot hilchot Shabbat, lefi mashakon v'shabbat, v'sefer ha-Torah. And then, Of course, it's a public drasha, so it should also include some Jewish to make people better, teach them Musa, etc. But he says it should be uh, halachically oriented. That's the Bach's, the Bach's statement. There's a shla in Mesachat Shavuot who says that every drasha, every public drasha should have three parts. One part, nice pshat for psukim, one pshat halacha lemaisa, one pshat Musa. Uh, and again, maybe in modern synagogues, we're a little bit afraid of halacha. And therefore, the drashot 
concentrate more on the Musa or on the homiletics of the Pashat, Pashat HaShavua. Okay, I've used up my time. There are other interesting, uh, one or two other interesting things could be pointed out in this Pasha of Ayakal and Pekude. Um, I've used up my time. It's interesting halakha from the beginning. And uh, therefore I'm going to say Shabbat Shalom. We've completed Sefer Shmot. Hashem. We'll be back next week. Shabbat Shalom and Vorach.